the passage for today is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and can be found on page 1047. I'm beginning to read verse 1. I'm actually reading the whole chapter. (laughs) So, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Sharon. Let me just sort this out. It's going to wobble all the way through. Keep your Bibles open there. So I wonder, um, hello, I'm Colin. Again, just remind you my name. Um, I wonder how you are at PDAs, so like public displays of affection. You know, I'm British, so on the whole, I'm not great at, great at that. Um, so let me just mute this. Um, so you get people, some people are like kind of like handshake only, aren't they? Some people go out with your two hands, double pumper. Some people are just a quick side hug. Some people are bear hug, suffocate you. Uh, this is a picture of, my, of me and my friends. So some of you know I've just been back to the UK to attend a wedding um, where I met up with these guys. So Adrian is with the beard at the back there. He was my oldest friend, got married. And these guys, we've all stayed in touch but we haven't been in the same room together, I reckon, for about 20 years. So when we greeted, it wasn't polite handshakes. It was great big bear hugs. All sort of protocol went out of the window. Then we quickly descended into taking the mic out of hairlines and waistlines and things like that. But it was, it was a joyful reunion hug that we all had with each other. And today, we're kicking off this series on discipleship. And we're grounding ourselves, before we get any further, in grace. Uh, Grace, a good definition, is an undeserved gift which costs the giver and not the receiver. So an undeserved gift which costs the giver and not the receiver. And in that third parable we just heard, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of God's grace in a hug, in an ultimate hug given to a lost son who is found. Our foundation for following Jesus, for for being his disciple and looking at discipleship, is knowing that we are saved by grace. And I want us to go into this series on discipleship, um, so looking at how to follow Jesus in the day-to-day. I want us to do that feeling And knowing, being assured of, that we're safe in God's loving embrace of grace. An embrace of grace. So we'll concentrate on that that final um, parable about the two sons. But it's it's worth noticing who Jesus is telling these parables to, isn't it? If you look at verse 1, Jesus is hanging out with um, tax collectors and those with a special reputation for being sinners. So these are the people that nobody wanted to hang about with. Those who are in some way publicly immoral. And the religious types, those who dedicate themselves to following God's ways, they object to the fact that Jesus 
is hanging out with these ratbags. You know, if Jesus really is a man of God, um, shouldn't he be hanging out with the religious leaders? What does it say about Jesus that he chooses to be with those with a bad reputation? So in answer, Jesus tells them three parables. And those first two, the lost sheep and the lost coin, they show us that everyone can be either thought of as either lost, apart from God, or found in right relationship with God. So lost or found, remember those categories. And those parables show us as well, God's not like um, passport control. So don't you go through passport control at the airport. You You kind of feel guilty even if you've got everything in order. God's not like border control, sternly waiting to see if your heavenly passport's all in order, all the right visas and stamps in it. Now, these parables tell us that God goes out of his way to seek the lost, to save the lost. Every single person is important to him. And when even just one person who is lost is found, restored to relationship with him, there is verses 7 and verse 10, there's rejoicing, there's partying in heaven. Lost or found, those are Jesus' categories. And he's hanging out with sinners, sinners, not to condone doing wrong things, or going against God, but because they're lost in sin, and he has come to find them. So now onto this third parable. Um, to get to the heart of, of what Jesus is all about and what following him is all about, Jesus tells a story about a father and his two sons. He tells a story about relationship and about grace. Now, there's no outline in your leaflets because I didn't have it together before Mrs. Speed went on holiday. But roughly, we'll, go, we'll talk about the younger son, then the older son, and then briefly, um, God and us. Younger son, older son, God and us. Or you can just doodle. If it helps you concentrate. If it doesn't, don't doodle. Okay. So first, the younger son. Verse 12. The youngest one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. What a toe rag this younger son is, isn't he? He's basically saying to his father, I'm not interested in you. I'm only interested in what you can give me. He's asking for his inheritance, and as I understand, I'm no lawyer, Michael can sort me out after, but as I understand it, inheritance is something you only get when somebody dies. So the son is saying um, to his dad, relationally, you're as good as dead to me. And it's not as if he wants the cash um, to run the farm better or to invest it in something smart. Verse 13 Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. A squandered here, that word, it's got the idea of holding banknotes in the air and just letting them blow away in the wind. So the son gets to follow his heart's desire. He gets to do what he feels is being true to himself. He gets to do all his wild living. 
but it has consequences. When he's got nothing left, and when famine hits, he hits rock bottom. Tending pigs, like, it's like the worst imaginable job for a Jewish man. He's so hungry that he wishes he could have their pig swill. And any friends his wealth have won him have long gone. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a pretty stark sort of warts and all, riches to rags picture of pursuing what you want, isn't it? Uh, pursuing our wants and our desires can seem like pursuing freedom. And sure, the son, he, get, he gets out from under the old man. He's like Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Um, he reckons there must be more to life than this, more than this provincial life. That song's stuck in your head now, isn't it? Uh, and he, he gets to find out that there is. You know, he gets to do some wild living, whatever that is. It sounds pretty exciting. But the problem is it's wafer thin. Its pleasures are temporary and they have a hangover. You see, going against God and going against his ways, pursuing life to fulfill ourself, uh, the Bible calls that sin, is its own kind of slavery. See, sin never delivers on its promise. And sin lies to you about its consequences. So the person who gossip loves being the one in the know and loves dishing the dirt. But they don't get to see their own self-esteem being eroded and their confidence melting as they live in fear of what others are saying about them. And the husband tempted to have an affair. He feels the excitement of it all. But he doesn't picture the scene as he breaks his wife's heart and tells the children why mum is so sad. Sin never delivers. And sin never tells you the fine print. The consequences. <clears throat> Excuse me. So ask yourself, what is it that you're chasing after? If, if like this son, you could make all your, your wishes come true, what would your wild living be? Uh, we could list loads of sort of potential things that we chase after. But um, Cameron Monroe, who's coming to be our senior pastor in January, I've been on a course with him, and he told me about four, t- four categories which I think capture all the things that we chase after. Power, acceptance, security, and comfort. Power, acceptance, security, and comfort. And I think everything else you can think of probably fits in those categories. So chasing after those things, ask yourself, will it bring you freedom? Or is it possibly even enslaving you, even now? The son at last comes to his senses. I think it's even dad's minimum wage farmhands are better off than me right now. I'll go back and ask to be one of them. And there's three R's here. Um, he recognizes. He recognizes at last the state he's in. He recognizes it's his own fault that he got there and that he deserves it. He recognizes he's remorseful. Uh, and he shows that in verses 18 and 19 in what he's planning to say to dad. 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he recognizes and is remorseful. But more than that, he repents. He turns away from where he is. And verse 20, he got up and went to his father. And that's what repentance is. The father here representing God in this parable. Repentance is actively turning to God. You can picture the young son going home, can't you? He's walking up the road to the property, rehearsing, going over in his head what he's going to say to dad. You know, maybe words got around the neighborhood and the neighbors have come out to see how it will go down with the old man. The son can see the contempt in the, the neighbor's eyes, can hear them tutting, and he knows they're right. He can imagine what they've advised his father over the years. Don't, don't be make, made a fool of again if he comes back. Don't trust him. Be careful. He'll only hurt you again. And the son on this journey is, is imagined what his dad was like in those days after he left. Was he angry, disappointed, heartbroken? What's his father going to be like now? The father, his father would be well within his rights to refuse to even see his son. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He sees his son while he's still a long way off. I imagine him washing up every day, looking through the kitchen window. He can see down the road and he's sort of always staring at the horizon, just wondering, is this son going to come across that, come up the path? Looking, searching, always checking the horizon just in case. And when he at last sees his son, he has compassion. The word there for compassion is, it literally says, his guts churned. That sort of gut-churning emotion. Such is the strength of his feeling. And he stuffs convention, which means he should be all respectable and refined. Hitches up his robe and legs it down the road to greet the son. And he throws his arms around him. And that word, the phrase for throwing his arms around him, is literally, he hung off his neck. This is not a polite pat on the back kind of hug. This is that. Arms round, fully tight, he can barely breathe, and kisses him. This is an aching and now rejoicing heart spilling out into physical greeting. God's reaction to a sinner coming back to him in repentance is gut churning compassion and emotional, heartfelt embrace. This hug means something. The son actually deserves chasing off land, rotten veg being thrown at him as he escapes. But instead, dad orders uh, not just that he be welcomed home, but that he's given the place of honor at the biggest party he's ever thrown to celebrate him coming home. And why? Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. 
the relationship is fully restored. And here we get to the, the Father heart of God for us. See, at the core of what really counts for all of us, for every human in the world, is not whether we are good or bad or other labels, a sinner, religious. What really counts is whether we are dead or alive, lost or found. Repenting from serving ourselves and turning to God, alive, found. Or rejecting God and his grace to us, dead and lost. Uh, one of the friends at the wedding I went to, James, is, um, he was my best man. And his dad's a vicar. Oh, he's a retired vicar now. But always been part of um, sort of high churches, sort of uh, bells and smell services, they call them, don't they? That kind of thing. Um, uh, and, and only ever, uh, not many people there. And he said, how many people are at your church then? He said, it's about 160 adults and children. And he was blown away. Why are there so many? What are you doing to get so many people there? Well, it's because of this, isn't it? Because we preach this grace of God. Because we preach a heartfelt hug from God. Everything we are at Trinity Bay is based on this reaction of God to a repentant sinner. Undeserved Compassionate grace, welcoming us home. So three things I just want to draw out from this first son's story then. First, don't be deceived by the shiny attractiveness of sin. It will enslave you, it will shortchange you, and it will destroy you. It, it took reaching rock bottom and being abandoned by everyone for the son to come to his senses. But part of us being church together is to help one another to be continually coming to our senses. Uh, reading the Bible together, um, correcting one another, encouraging one another, holding one another accountable, speaking the truth to one another in love. Continually coming to our senses. Second, if you are coming to your senses, if you are realizing that you're living for yourself, and you need to turn to God and go back home to him. Can I encourage you? Don't stop at recognizing the problem. Don't stop at remorse. Repent. Turn to God in faith. Confess your sin to him. Trusting him to embrace you in compassion and grace. Because when even just one person does that, there's a party involving angels in heaven. And thirdly, for those of us who are Christians and yet have still sinned, don't hang around on the road up to the house rehearsing your speech. Don't hang around on the road thinking about how are you going to convince God to have you back? Remember, 
You've already been welcomed into the house. There's already been a party for you. You are in God's family. Now, in some ways, that kind of makes us feel all the worse because we've, we've sinned and gone against God in the family home, as it were. But remember, to accept God's grace, to accept God's compassionate embrace of you, repent again and accept, accept his love and grace. And use the, the knowledge of your welcomed, celebrated status as part of God's family to prompt you to godly living in peaceful relationship with him. So that's the first one. The younger son. Let's have a look at the older son. So if the first son represents the tax collectors and sinners in Jesus' audience, then this older son represents the Pharisees and teachers of the law. So the older son, he's out in the field and he hears music. And he gets a bit closer. Can I smell a spit roast going? And then it gets a bit close. There's definitely music and dancing going on. And that pen that used to have the fattened calf in, that he'd so fastidiously fattened up, it's not there. What's going on? He asks the servant. Verse 27. Uh, your brother's come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. Now, we can have a bit of sympathy for this brother. Can't Hands up if you're the eldest child amongst your siblings. You've got a bit of sympathy, haven't you? Because, I mean, I'm a middle child. Not that anyone would notice. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're the oldest, the younger ones, don't they get away with murder? You know, with you, is you can't eat that. You can't go there. But with the youngest, it, by the time they get to the youngest, the parents are like, <laughs> whatever, go You'll scream if you're in pain. <laughs> but before we get too much sympathy for this older brother, let's look closely at him. Because he disrespects the father, his father, in his own way. Verse 28. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So if the head of the household throws a party, the older brother should be there joining in. But again, the father's compassion overthrows protocol or good manners. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Oh, it's all coming out now, isn't it? All these bitterness and poor motives. Uh, he, he's self-pitying, isn't he? He's seeing himself as a slave to his father. He's lacking generosity or team spirit. He reckons he's only obeyed orders. He's, there seems to be no sense of him taking responsibility for what is essentially his property as well as the oldest son. He feels entitled and now... Jealous, complaining he's not even had even a small party thrown for him. 
And did you notice he distances himself from his own relationship with his brother? This son of yours, he says. He doesn't say, this brother of mine. And basically his case is, I've done things. I've kept the rules. You owe me. I deserve your favour. When you think about it, he's really making the same demands as the younger son had. It's just that he's wrapping them up in doing the right thing and, and respectability. The older brother, he might still be on the farm, but he's still out in the cold. It is possible to do all the right things, to live in godly ways. We could do this whole discipleship series and you do absolutely everything it says on the tin. But still be separated from God because we refuse to go home to him. Because we refuse to trust and rely on him and accept his grace to us. You see, the older son, he's mistaken the rules, God's the father's rules, which to help honor the relationship with his father, he's mistaken those rules as being more important than the relationship itself. And so a trivial example, um, it's like hardcore Star Trek fans. Okay, So there's a cool new series on Netflix, new Star Trek um, series. It's really good. But if you go on Star Trek forums, I don't recommend it. It's like a vortex. If you go in their nerdy forums, all the old fans care about is how this new thing is not exactly like the original series. And that minor detail is not correct. They've missed the whole point of the story and the drama and the imagination and just the entertainment, which is what it's made for. They miss all that because the focusing on, on that tribble is not quite right. The son's mistaken the rules for the relationship. Still, the father has compassion for this son too. So at this stage in, in the gospel, um, Jesus is still reaching out to those religious leaders who will eventually send him to his death. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And he's found. This is God's heart for the lost. His love is so great. That he celebrates and he's glad when we are found. Is that your heart for the lost? Just to help explain what I don't want to happen with this discipleship series. So on the, on the plane, going to the UK recently, um, I was watching a routine by a UK comedian called Michael McIntyre. You've probably seen him. And the funny thing was, this routine, and then what he was describing in the routine, immediately happened to me. So it goes something like this. Um, you're on a plane, as soon as the seatbelt light, um, on light goes off and the engines are down. Everyone leaps to the feet and it's game on. 
It's a race. But nobody will admit it's a race. Everyone wants to get their, their suitcase first. And everyone's walking quicker and quicker. And no, no eye contact. But you're all watching each other, walking quicker and quicker. Uh, and it's a race. And no one's admitting it's a race. And then, disaster, somebody gets on the travelator. You miss the travelator. And then you've got to walk really fast. You're trying to beat them without looking like you're trying to beat the person on the travelator. And you look like John Cleese doing funny walks. And then, in the end, anyway... Then you get the uh, people who have asked for special assistance on the electric scooter. Go, yeah, I'm going to get there first before you. <laughs> but it struck me, in, in the race for the suitcases, we, we, get, we can get all stressed and harassed. Whereas, in fact, it's all done for you. you know, your case is going to go on the belt at the same time as everybody else's. Uh, and your ticket that you've all bought has entitled you to the same service. It's all taken care of. And who cares who's first anyway? And all that harassment and racing, it just helps stop us enjoying our status of being on holiday. And as we're getting into this discipleship series, we need to start off knowing that for followers of Jesus, everything is taken care of. That things are more than good for us already. So that we don't find ourselves racing and comparing ourselves to others. See, if we lose our grounding in grace, then we slip into doing our discipleship to justify ourselves. And if we do that, then we start to lose our heart for the lost who are not doing the discipleship things that we think they ought to be. And then we can end up being like the older brother, losing our joy for people, simply being restored to relationship with the Father. So, what do we learn from these brothers about us? So, about us. Well, which brother do you most identify with? So for some of us, it will be the younger son. We know we've gone wrong. And if we've turned back to God already, we're all the more grateful for his embrace of grace. Or maybe you identify with that younger son, but feel like you're too far gone. Or you identify with the younger son, and actually you're still enjoying your wild living. Too much to give it up. Uh, Some of us will identify more with the older son, feeling dutiful, feeling like God owes us a better deal than the hand we've been dealt. All of us, every one of us, needs to come home. We need to come home to the Father. We all need to accept God's grace to us. We need to love God And ask him to give us that love for others. To give us his compassion for the lost. So that's us. And what do we learn about God? Well, this story is often called the prodigal son, isn't it? And because of this story, um, prodigal has fallen into common usage to mean somebody like this younger son who returns. But actually, its original meaning, it's on the screen there, it's a prodigal, this is on the 
Oxford English Dictionary, so proper English, not Australian. Its original meaning is spending money or using resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. So yeah, we can see that's the younger son, he's prodigal, like that. Or having or giving something on a lavish scale. So American preacher Tim Keller has a book, which I haven't read, about this passage called The Prodigal God. Because God has and gives on a lavish scale grace. God is prodigal with grace. You know, if we were to rewrite this parable with a really good older brother, how would it go? Well, it could go like this. The older brother gives up, gives up his rights at great cost to himself to seek out and rescue the younger brother. He goes to, the, goes to his father and says, I'll go and bring him home. I'll bear the cost of his mistakes so he can share a place at home with me. Each of us has an older brother like that. That is what Jesus has done for us. Grace wasn't free for Jesus. He gave up his place in heaven for it. He went to die on the cross to win grace for us. Grace is not cheap. But for us who trust in Jesus, grace is free. So as we get into this discipleship series, let's learn how to follow Jesus in response. We are not saying, like the older brother, I'm trying to be a good disciple of Jesus, therefore God should accept me. Rather, we are saying, I am accepted in Jesus, saved by grace, therefore I will try to be a good disciple. We are saved by grace, and from there, we seek to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our older brother Jesus, who gave up everything at great cost, came to seek us and find us, so that we may be restored to perfect relationship with you by grace. Now please give us your heart, your compassion for the lost. Uh, help us in our part in, in seeking and finding them. Um, for where we've turned against you and sinned, we're sorry. We return to you. We come home to you now and rely on you completely. Uh, thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name. Amen.